Well, today, today we celebrate freedom as a country, a country that I am so grateful for. Yeah, we have our problems, we have our issues, we have things that we need to get better at. But I really, truly believe God has blessed us. And I believe he's using our government, he's using our people to extend his glory, to share his glory to all of his creation. And as I was thinking about speaking today, I started thinking, what am I called to speak on? And I thought, I need to speak on freedom. But not just the freedom that we get in this country, not just the personal liberties extended to us by the Constitution, I think we're talking about a freedom today that goes beyond that. It's a true freedom that doesn't stop when we find freedom from something, but a freedom that is for something even greater. And so, as we get started today, I thought, okay, here's what I need to do. I need to get you motivated. I need to get you engaged in this message. Like, not just like, hey, take out the app and get your notes ready because we're gonna need to take notes. I want you to do that. If you have the app, why don't you do that right now? Get the Northview app, get the note sections ready. I want you to be able to take notes. But here's the motivated. Here's why I want you to be engaged. I want you to be so motivated that during this message, you just get to that point where you're just like ready to run through a brick wall to find this freedom. That's what I want. I want you to be so excited and engaged that at some point, you're gonna be sitting in your seat, you're gonna be joining us online in a coffee shop, and you're gonna yell amen for no reason. That's what I wanna see today. I want you to be so excited, so fired up that you're willing to fight for freedom. I want you to be so excited that at some point, you're just gonna stand up and you're gonna yell freedom! That's what I want, and I thought, how do I get you there? How do you get you to join me in that? And I got it. It came to me. I need to show you the greatest speech on freedom that's ever been recorded on film. You know what I'm talking about. It airs at least once a week on some cable station somewhere because it's part of the greatest, one of the greatest movies of all time. I'm talking about William Wallace speaking to his fellow Scotsman about the freedom that they need to fight for. And I know you're gonna be motivated after watching this, so let's check out this clip. Hey, Kurt, we, we don't have the clip. Remember, we, we talked about this. We were gonna have two options. Yeah. We were gonna show the clip. Show the clip. Or you were gonna do the speech. I said, we're gonna show the clip. And we said you were gonna do the speech. Well, the good news is... Um, you have it memorized, right? Because I watch it once a week, so I have it memorized. Right. So because so, of that, I'm going to do the, yeah, I'm so gonna do the speech. You'll do the speech. Fair enough. I got it. Yeah, you got it. It'll be All great. right. Are you ready? I'm going to do the speech. Okay, here we go. Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. Kurt, and I am... So you have it memorized. It sounds great. But we think, we just were talking, I think it'll be better if you do it in the Scottish accent. Scottish accent. Yeah, I mean, it's William Wallace. Like, that's it. Like, it's historical. Scottish. We gotta be accurate. So, if you were ever wondering, is one of Kurt Broadbeck's hidden talents accents? It is not. No. I, think I don't do. You got it, though. <clears throat> I think it'll be worth it. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Sons of Scotland. We'll try and find Scotland. more stuff for you to maybe add William, it up. William Wallace. Wallace. It's like you have to, like, pretend you're swallowing a pill and it's, like, stuck. <laughs> Wallace. Like, right in the back of your throat. Here we go. Okay, are you ready? Here, Kurt. Actually, Sons here, we, of Scotland. Hang on. I am. We got some extra, like, last thing. We think it'll add 
just a little bit more to kind of the, the whole thing. What's this? I mean, I think, so it's a kilt, I think is what a they kilt. call it. I've never worn a kilt, but There's I'll do it. a first time for everything. There is a first time today. Okay, here we go. This is gonna get you motivated. This is, <laughs> this is what I'm willing to do. I'm willing to do the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened on a stage at a Northview campus in order to get you motivated. So here we go. All right, see here. I'm willing to wear a kilt. Good thing I'm wearing pants, or this would not cover completely. That's true. This is perfection. Here. Yep. We got a little extra here. Just look straight ahead. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That'll do. Uh. I, think, I think this will really just bring you know, everyone into the moment. Really make, make the connection. I think this is better than the clip. I think it looks, yeah. Not bad, huh? It's the same. You got it. This so here's the deal. If I'm willing to do this, possibly the most embarrassing thing I've ever done in my life, when we get to the end of this speech, and you know the end of this speech, where I say, and they'll never take our freedom. Wherever you are, whether you're joining us in this auditorium at one of our campuses, or you're joining us online, you are gonna stand up from your chair and you are going to scream freedom with me. Are you ready? Yes? yes? You ready? Here we go. Sons of Scotland, I, oh yeah. Hi, I'm William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You have come here to fright as free men and free you are. But what will you do with your freedom? Will you fight? I fight and you may die. Run and you will live at least for a while. In many years from now, when you are dying in your bed, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day till that day to come back here and to say to our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Let's go! Our freedom! Yeah, that was. This is why I never got asked to do acting class, right there. Not a single play in high school did they want me to be a part of. Not sure we're motivated, but I hope we're engaged because here's the thing, today, today is the greatest sermon that you've ever heard, not because of the person speaking it, because the message is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. There's never been a greater message proclaimed to this earth than what you get to hear today through the scriptures. And so we should be that excited. We should be just ready to receive whatever God is gonna say to us. It's a freedom 
from something that calls us for something so much greater. But before we get into that message, I need you to hear my friend Jesse's story. Because he's someone who experienced this freedom and now he's living his life for something greater. So let's check out his story as we get ready for the message. As I was growing up, I got connected with baseball and really started to, to have that become a big part of my life. And as I transitioned into high school, baseball really became who I was. And that kind of starts my transition of, you know, not Jesse the Christ follower, not Jesse the, the redeemed, but Jesse the baseball player. So as I transitioned from high school into college and everything about college in terms of the freedom started to come into my life in terms of freedom of my decisions, freedom of my own time, that sort of thing. My identity got closer attached to baseball than Christ, and I was in an environment without structure. With that, the ups and downs of success, uh, you know, added in with the, with the absence of Christ in my life, I just, I just went into things that were temporary, you know, void fillers, where I would uh, be out on the weekends partying, and I would be, you know, pursuing girls and premarital, you know, sexual relationships and pornography addiction and all of that because what I had rooted myself in, in terms of my identity with baseball, that was temporary. And so as I'm walking through life, I get to a point where I'm just so low because nothing is filling this void. I get connected with a church because at this point, I'm just ready to try anything. And my mom encouraged me, why don't you go check out this church? So I get connected with a young adult ministry at this church, and, and one time the young adult pastor asked me to go to dinner with him. And as we're sitting down, I order a beer, and, and he doesn't. And I just asked him, you know, what's, what's the deal with that? Is that a you thing? Is that a I'm a pastor thing? What, what is that? And, and he just tells me directly, I've, I've seen from your social media that, that, that you struggle with alcohol and partying, and I don't want to be the reason that you fall into that tonight. And as a person with no identity, this just, this just blew me away. I mean, I went home and just cried all night because I just couldn't understand why a guy who knew me for two months could value me in a way that was more than I valued myself. And so this spurred on a, a, a great friendship. And this is, he actually is my best friend now. And he, he led me back to Christ and showed me that the reason that he could love me the way that he did that night, it was because of the way Christ loved him and brought him out of his struggles. And so from there on, I just started running towards Christ. I got rededicated my life to Christ. I got rebaptized, and and I started serving in the ministry in any way I could. Uh, a couple years ago, I got married and we moved uh, to the north side of Indianapolis. Through an incredible timing situation, I got to partner with Northview uh, around this program called the Ministry Associates Program. Essentially what it is, is it just gives volunteers the opportunity that if they wanna commit a little bit more, it's not, it's not a full-time thing, it's just every week a little bit more to one ministry that they're passionate about, that they feel like God has brought them to to serve and that God has equipped them to serve in. Um, they can do that. And so you, you, you get brought on with the church and you get you know, support and a coach and all these incredible opportunities. But at the exact same time that I was getting plugged into that ministry, the church was planning to launch a young adult ministry here uh, at the Bimford campus and it's called the Porch Live Indy. And so I have been able and blessed to be a part of this launch and to lead part of this ministry to reach young adults here in Indianapolis.
it's, I mean, it's so much more than we could have ever thought. You know, we have a leadership team that serves every single week, and we actually talked about what we thought the first night was going to be. And we thought if we could get a, if we could get a hundred young adults in the doors that night, it would be incredible. And we, we had over 230 show up the first night, and and it's not all about numbers, but it just shows that there's a need, right? And every single week, we've got hundreds of young adults coming back, and. And I walk in on Thursdays, the Benford campus just so ready to go because the way God has changed my life was walking through a door into a ministry just like this. And every single week, we are creating an environment for young adults to come and get real Christ-centered life change in an, in, an, in an area where that's not happening a lot. When I look back at where God has led me, what he's brought me through and the the struggles he's brought me out of and where he has me now. The opportunity to serve in this way and the opportunity to affect change, hopefully, in people's lives in the same way it was affected in me. I mean, there can't be anything better than that. It's, it's one thing to be saved by Christ. It's another thing to then be used in that story going forward for someone else. No, that's a good story, right? <laughs> Jesse serves at Northview as a ministry associate, and maybe some of you don't know, what does that term ministry associate mean? Well, you've heard us say this over and over here at Northview, that we are surrounded by some of the generous people that we have ever met, most generous people. And some of you are so generous uh, with your time. You're serving on teams. Thousands of you are serving on teams. But, but there's a group of people at Northview are like, hey, I'm serving on this team and I love what I'm doing, but what else do you want me to do? I wanna do more. I feel like I have a full-time job, I have all these other things going on, but I wanna invest deeper into serving here at Northview. Where's my opportunity? Where's my seat at the table? So we started a program called the Ministry Associates Program. It's volunteers who serve eight or more hours every single week. They're literally given keys to the building and a seat at the table when it comes to influence. They don't just do ministry, they own ministry. We have over 85 people that are ministry associates that have a coach here at Northview. They're the lifeblood for so many of these ministries happening. And Jesse, Jesse helped us launch the Porch Live Indianapolis, a ministry to 20s and 30s. And he helped us launch it in the middle of a pandemic, which seems about like the worst idea possible to launch something in the middle of a pandemic. But I can tell you this, God is moving and it's powerful. The stories are incredible. The community that's developed down there at the Benford campus has been awesome every Thursday night. So I'm excited to tell you this. We're actually launching the Porch Live Lafayette at our greatest Lafayette campus coming this fall. And we are so excited to see how God's gonna start using that to the 20s and 30s up in Lafayette. We think it's a huge thing. Well, I wanna dive in uh, to God's word. And I wanna talk about the freedom from to experience freedom for. And I'm gonna sharp, start by sharing the gospel with you. And I know there's some of you here, some of us that are joining us online or at our campuses that have actually heard that before. But I know you won't be bored. It's like watching Braveheart every week. It's the greatest movie. It's the greatest story ever told. I know because this one has impacted my life personally. 
But there's some of you, there's some of you that maybe this is your first time hearing or hopefully it'll be the first time really connecting. Here's what I want you to know. This is God's story for all of his creation, but he would have done it if it was just for you. You see, God, he loves you. Jesus, he actually shares God's heart in Matthew 18. He says this, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heavens is not willing that any of the little ones should perish. This story that we're telling is for everyone and it's for you. God, he loves you. He made you. So let's jump into it. Genesis 1.1. Here's where we learn about God. In the beginning, God, he created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible says, and it was good. God's the creator. And then he goes on from there and he, he creates the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals that roam along the ground. And he says, and it was good. And then we see us as humans, we come along in verse 26. God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God, he made his creation and then he creates you and me. He creates humans, his prize creation. And here, he doesn't just say it's good. After he created humans, he says, this is very good. But God's design was not just for us as humans to rule over his creation, to rule over the birds and the, and the livestock. No, actually God's creation, all of God's creation, the reason that it was created was to give him the glory he deserves. Colossians says it this way in verse 16 of chapter one. It says, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, listen, all things have been created through him and for him. So it's important to know this. We were created to give God glory, honor, and praise. Now God, he could have, he could have just designed us and forced us to worship him. He could have created us as people that had absolutely no choice but to worship him, but he didn't. He gave us a gift, a gift called free will. He gave us the freedom to choose to either follow his ways or our ways. He gave us the freedom to choose whether we would worship him or not, whether we would accept him or reject him. And now some of you might say, well, why would God do that? If God could create anything he wanted, why did he not just make his creation work perfectly all the time? Was he bad at engineering? No. No, it was just part of his design. He wanted to give us free will. And you might say, well, why? Well, there's not a clear, clear answer in the Bible as to why, but let me try and put it this way, my best guess. I've been married for 20 years. 
My wife, Brooke, is amazing. If my wife, Brooke, had one of those like pull strings on her back, like the dolls, and every time I pulled that string, she would turn around and she'd be like, oh, hello, handsome. <laughs> you may have gained 35 pounds since we first met. You got a lot more gray hair, some wrinkles on your face, and the sun's making it look a little leathery. But I gotta say something. You are the most handsome man I've ever seen. I think we ought to get a babysitter tonight. I gotta tell you what I would be doing. I'd be pulling that string like all the time, right? That string would be like hanging permanently out of her back because all the time I'm forcing her to say that because I wanna hear that. But eventually, eventually it wouldn't mean anything, would it? Because it's me forcing her. She has no choice in the matter. But what if, what if I don't pull a string on her back and she comes up to me and says, wow, you're better looking to me now than you were when you were 20 years ago. I'm so thankful I get to be married to you. Let's get a babysitter. Now, now that means something, right? Because it was her choice. Because she chose me without me forcing her to choose me. You see, God's a good God. He loves his creation, but he also desires that his creation shows that love and that devotion back to him. But as we continue in the story, we see the very first humans, Adam and Eve, they didn't choose to follow God's ways. They didn't choose to honor him. God basically said to them, hey, I'm the designer, I'm the creator of this world, and if you will worship and love me, here's how you do that, just trust me. Do things my way. Obey what I'm telling you to do because if you do, it'll work out for your best. Just trust me. Don't eat from this tree in the center of the garden. And don't eat it or you will die. And guys, here's what I need you to see. It wasn't about the tree and it wasn't about the fruit. It was about trusting that his ways are better than our ways. But Adam and Eve, they didn't listen Genesis chapter three, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said, oh, no, 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 no. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the tree, fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it, or here comes the consequence. Here's what God told them. Don't do this, or you will die. Sorry. Can you go back one slide? It's all right. So God says, don't touch it, or you will die. The serpent then says to her, oh, you will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat from the tree, in the middle of the garden, your eyes will be open. And here's the lie that we all believe. The serpent says, and you will be like God. Isn't that always the temptation with sin? We want to choose our wisdom over God's wisdom. We think we know better. It feels in the moment like our way is going to be better than whatever God says. And if we could just do it our way, it'll be better. That's the lie. That's the lie that the serpent told Eve. Take it. You know better than God. And it's going to give you wisdom. For us, 
Don't trust God's ways. Trust your own way. You know what you're feeling inside. In fact, you can be like God. You're as good as God. That was the lie. It says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree and she saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye, but also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he took it. And that was just the beginning of this sinful nature. But we all know sin didn't stop there. All of us, every single one of us, sin against God. Now it's important to know this. The word sin really just means to miss the mark. We missed the mark on what God had set up for us. We missed the standard. We missed his ways. We did it our own Ways The Bible is clear that every single one of us have sinned. Romans 3, 23, for everyone, all of us, we're thrown in this together. You, me, your neighbor. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible then goes on to describe the consequence for choosing our ways over God's ways. Romans 5, 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and, through, and death was the consequence through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all have sinned. So we all deserve to die. Yes, the consequence is death. It's a death we experience here on earth, but it's also an eternal death. You need to understand that. It's an eternal separation from God. But here's the good news. Here's where the gospel comes in. Romans 6, 23 says it this way. Braveheart. Um, not in scripture, but it should be because it's on, like I said, every week. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you might say, what does that mean, the gift of God? Like, what gift did God give us? Romans 5.8 tells us about this gift. Let's keep diving through scripture. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A verse maybe you've heard, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I'm going quickly, so some of you might be saying, okay, so why did God send his son Jesus? Why did Jesus have to die? Like, like I'm getting the, we messed up, we picked our ways over God's ways, we, God can do whatever he wants, he's God, and so if the consequence for that is, is that he just says, hey, you're out of my creation, you're, you're, you're dead, that, I guess that's God's way, but why did Jesus have to die? Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to understand this consequence. Let's understand how God handled this from the beginning. So if we go back into the Garden of Eden, go back to Adam and Eve. They ate from the tree, they sinned. Their punishment was death. You need to see that immediately after they sinned, they felt shame, embarrassment, guilt. Read it to you. Genesis says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Then 
the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God. They were shamed. They felt so embarrassed, but not only that, they were afraid, so they hid from God because they knew what they deserved for what they had done. They knew their designer. They knew the creator. They had a relationship with him, and they knew that they had just disobeyed completely what he had asked. They knew that they had not trusted him. They knew that they deserved to die, and so they hid. But let's see what God did. Because God did something that up until that point in time had never happened. Up until that point in time, we see no record of any death that happened at all on this earth. But God, he decides instead of giving them the punishment they deserved right there in that moment, he decides to cover their shame. He decides to sacrifice an animal and to use its skin to cover them. Read with me, Genesis 3, 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You see, God, he provided the first sacrifice for his people. That was his response. You messed up, let me cover you. Let me make up for it right now. I'm gonna do a gift to you right now, Adam and Eve. Yes, there was still a consequence. Yes, they were still kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Yes, they were still separated from God. Yes, sin entered the world. Yes, the people were constantly trying to get back into relationship with God. But here's what God says. Okay, I'm gonna start by offering a sacrifice on your behalf to give you a chance. Then, if we read through the Old Testament of the Bible, we read about the Old Covenant, a, a law that God sets up with his people. And here's basically what he says. I'm gonna offer you temporary forgiveness of your sins. Here's how you do that. When you recognize the sin in your life, when you recognize that you have turned away from me, when you want to draw near to me, here's what you do. You offer me your first and your best. The best of your livestock is a sacrifice. The best of your food. And that will be a sacrifice. That will make atonement for your sin. And this is the agreement that the, the covenant that the Jewish people had in place with God for thousands of years. They'd sin, they'd offer a sacrifice to seek forgiveness. Yet through that whole period, God was promising them something. He promised them that someday he would send them a Messiah, a Savior, that would free them, but not temporarily free them, eternally free them. They would offer them eternal freedom, and they couldn't wait for that. And that's where Jesus stepped in. You see, God, he wanted to make salvation easy for you and for me. So he set up a new covenant with his people. God, he sends his one and only son to this earth to live as a man, but he never sinned. And then Jesus willingly went to the cross and he died for you and for me. He didn't deserve to die. He had never, ever sinned. He didn't deserve that punishment like we do, but he took our place. And just as God provided that first sacrifice in the Garden of Eden, he provided the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. He provided his son. But this sacrifice was different. Because although Jesus died on the cross, 
Three days later, he rose back from the dead, overcoming the sin, the curse of sin and death. And because God did all of the work for us, because he provided the sacrifice, the Bible tells us, then what is our response to that? How do we then achieve, receive the salvation that God has provided for us? How do we get the freedom that we need? Well, let's read it in Romans 10. It says this, this is your response to all the work that God did for you. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It gets better. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. We just call on the name of the Lord. There are some of you here today that you're hearing about this freedom for the first time. Some that maybe never understood it. Maybe you've heard that Jesus died for you, but you were like, I don't quite understand the connection. Here's the good news. You can receive true freedom today, eternal life in Jesus, eternity in heaven with God. Before I close today, I'm gonna actually say a prayer. I'm gonna give you a chance to say that prayer, to actually confess with your mouth. The Bible makes it very clear. You just need to pray to God, acknowledge repenting your sins, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you're gonna be saved. And we'll do that before we close today because I'm excited because I believe many of you may join us in that prayer today, but we're not done with the message yet because I want you to get the full picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ because God did not just call you for a freedom from something. He's calling you for a freedom for something greater. Freedom was never about us. Remember, the whole story is about him. You were created for him and for his purposes. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works, nobody's good enough. It's not about goodness. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this. We are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, his prized creation. He has big plans for how you're gonna do this life. He's calling you to use your freedom for something. It's not just about getting out of jail. It's about doing something with it. So today I'm gonna give you four really quick things that we're gonna use our freedom for. Here's the first one, okay? Your freedom is so that you don't have to keep sinning. 1 Peter 2, 16 says it this way, live as free people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. In Romans, Paul says, he lays out this beautiful picture of what God did for us, how God does all the work, how God forgives us no matter what, how if we just ask for forgiveness, God doesn't withhold it to us, he gives it to us all the time so that we can continue to receive that forgiveness so that our sins are forgiven past, present, and in the future. So Paul says, so what should we do? Just keep sinning and expect God to be better and better and better? Is that how we do it? Here's what he says. What should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we any longer live in it? 
So, up until this moment in the message, I think I had a bunch of you with me. I think you're ready to stand up and yell, freedom! I think you were going, yes, I love that Jesus did all this stuff for me. Oh, I'm ready to do something great. And then I'm like, and here's the first thing you get to do with your freedom, stop sinning. And it's like I was like going in for a touchdown and I'm like on the five yard line, the momentum's with me and I just fumbled the ball because you're like, that's what I get to do, stop sinning? Because sinning's fun. And if you're here and you don't think sinning's fun, you might not be a fun person. If sin wasn't fun, no one would do it. It wouldn't be a temptation if you weren't enticed to do it. Now hear me. You don't have to sin to have fun, but most of the times the reason that we're sinning is because it's fun. It's about pleasure. It's about experiencing personal pleasure in a moment, and I would describe that well as fun. But you need to hear this. Every sin is fun but there's not even one sin that's fulfilling. Because fun brings a moment of happiness, but fulfillment leads to an eternity of joy. Let me say this clearly. Forgiveness of your sin was never about behavior modification. God is not just about you being good. He's about you living your life to the fullest. And although there are times when sin seems to be fun in the moment, we, how, we then see how it leads to hurt, brokenness, despair. So turning from our sins, it's about restoring you to be the person who you were originally created to be. It's about realizing that God's design for you was perfect. And that when you live your life according to that design, when you're trusting in God, that's when you begin to experience life and life to the fullest. Romans 6, 6 and 8 says this, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So the first thing we use our freedom for is to stop sinning. But the second thing is this. Our freedom, our freedom allows us to be an extension of his love. And this is a good thing. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, I don't know what you want to be known for. I don't know what you want on your tombstone at the end of your life. But I can tell you this. For me personally, I want to be remembered as a man that loved people well. I want those that come into contact with me, that meet me, that live near me, to feel like I'm someone that shows them value and worth, that feels my love for them. But without God's freedom, without him freeing me from the sin that was holding on to my life, I will never be able to be known as a guy who loves others. Now, I wish I had a lot of time to talk on this point. I always feel like there's more I should share, but I never get to, right? So I wish I had more time, but here's, here's what I'm talking about. There's, there's a few different kinds of love. There's a, there's a family love. I certainly believe, yes, God designed the family. That's where that love comes from. But I can, without accepting Christ, I can love my family pretty well. There's a friendship love. 
I can show some love to friends as well. There's a romantic love, an eros love, certainly. But what I'm talking about is the fourth type of love. It's agape love. It's unconditional love. It's a no strings attached kind of love. It's described in 1 John 4:19, where it says, we, agape, we unconditionally love because he first agaped us. Now, maybe you've heard this verse before, but I want to explain this because to me it's a deep truth. And I'm going to speak for me personally, okay? At the core of me, at the core of my sinful nature, I'm a selfish person. That's who I am. And if I wasn't a Christian, if I didn't have the freedom that God gave me through this, freedom from the slavery of sin, I can tell you that every one of my decisions would be filtered through my own selfishness. I want you to know that because I'm a human and because I often sin, many of my decisions still, to this day, get filtered through my selfishness. It's an area of sin that I have to constantly work on. So for me, someone who at my core of my sinful nature is selfish, I can't show agape or unconditional love apart from first receiving it from God because if I'm gut level honest, when I'm not loving the way through God or for him, I'm gonna show you love because it makes me feel good about myself. Or I showed you love so that others would think I'm a good person. Or I show you love because I received a benefit back towards me. It's actually just an act of kindness that benefits me in some way. So here's the thing. Because that's me, because I know at the core of me I can only offer transactional love, it's about me. But here's the thing. When God freed me from my sin, his goodness, when I'm doing it in response to the freedom, I can do things, I can use my time, my money, my talents for him because it's not about me, it's about him. I can actually get nothing in return if I'm doing it from the motivation of giving him the glory and the honor and praise because if the person doesn't receive it or if I don't get anything back, it wasn't about me in the first place. It's not about you. Let's go on. The next one. Oh, 2 Corinthians uh, 15, 14, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 makes this point. It says this, for Christ's love compels us. It's the propane. It's the fuel that has us love because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, it's not about you, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We've received this freedom from him so we can live for him. And we take that love that he gives us and we transfer it to others for him. Number three, here's the third thing we live in freedom for. Our freedom compels you to restore justice to a broken world. Isaiah 1.17 says this, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. 
Now I'm gonna go quickly on this, but here's the point. I wanna summarize this point. God's design for the world was perfect. It was heaven here on earth. But the result of that sin that we talked about was brokenness, oppression, hurt, violence, anger, racism, loneliness, the list could go on and on and on. But because we experience God's goodness, because he restored to us what was broken, because he gives it back to us through his gift, we are to take up his causes. We're to be people that despite the presence of sin here in this world, despite the brokenness, we are bringing God's kingdom here to earth. So we're forgiving others. We're showing others their worth and their value. We're fighting for those that can't fight for themselves and we're caring for those that can't do it on their own. It's a freedom for something greater. Number four, and we'll close. Your freedom is to be shared with others. So the fourth thing that we use our freedom for is to share it with others. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Friends, your freedom from sin is so that you can go tell others what you've experienced. I love Jesse's story here at the beginning. He experienced freedom as a young adult, so now he wants to make sure he's sharing that same freedom with other young adults that are in the same situation as him. He's telling others the good news, and you were granted freedom. Who are you telling? It's not just about you. He didn't do it just for you. He would have done it if it was just you. I told you that. But once you've received that freedom from, it's so that you can go and share it for. It's so that others can experience the goodness of God. Here's what I want you to see. The Bible tells us that salvation is about accepting Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. You see, freedom is where Jesus stepped in. It's freedom as our Savior. It's freedom for. Freedom from, I'm sorry. Freedom from is where Jesus stepped in as our savior. Freedom for is where we say to Jesus, I'm trusting you with my life. You get to control it. That's what being a Christian is all about. It's freedom from, freedom for, Jesus savior, Jesus Lord. Have you given him your whole life? Are you just excited that he saved you from something? Or are you now trusting that his ways are better than yours? Are you gonna let him direct you and tell you where to go next? That's what it's about. That's the true freedom that we find in Christ. And maybe there's some of you that are here with us today that want to take a moment right now and declare to Jesus, to tell God I'm ready to accept Jesus as my savior and as my Lord. If that's you, I wanna pray with you. And so here's how I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna say a prayer out loud. Remember, the Bible says all we have to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that we'll be raised from the dead and we'll be saved. So wherever you are, whether you're joining us at one of our campuses, whether you're joining us online, as I pray, just have you pray this prayer silently to God. You're just using my words to become your words. I'm trying to give you the words to express to God a thankfulness for what he did by sending his son Jesus. So if you want to do that today, just pray with me right now. Would you bow your heads? Father God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for creating me. I'm sorry 
when I choose my ways over yours. Forgive me, God. God, today, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. I believe, God, that you sent him to take the punishment I deserved. And I believe, God, that he's Lord in my heart. Thank you, God, for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to know that we, we are so celebrating with you, but we actually want to follow up with you and we wanna give you a next step. So at the end of the service, wherever you are, as, as the worship team closes in a, a song, at the end of that song, they're gonna give you directions on where to go because we wanna connect you with somebody who's gonna give you a book. And that book's important because it helps you discover what's next. And it's called the, Ford, it's a, the Purpose Driven Life. It's 40 days of short devotionals that kind of help you understand even more the commitment that you're making today to follow Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And so today, before you leave, if you said that prayer, don't leave your campus without that book. Take an extra two minutes. It's so worth it. If you're joining us online, I want you to know that you can just say in the chat to Shane, hey, I just prayed with Kurt to receive Christ. And Shane will follow up with you as well to get you that book. But as we close today, I want to close with a celebration. You know, this weekend, we celebrate Independence Day, and, and there's a symbol that has become for our freedom is, is well, it's, it's these, it's fireworks. Unpopular opinion. I don't think they're that great. I'm pretty sure it's just the same four or five fireworks that we've seen our entire lives shot up in a different order, and for some reason, They've convinced us to save our spots in parking lots. We all drive to the same location. We all watch them, and then we wait in traffic for 20 minutes trying to figure out how to get home. <laughs> Some people say, oh, and it's synced to the radio so you can turn it on and listen. I'm telling you this. If you think that's synced to the radio, you're impaired. Like, because you have to like have one eye closed and look at it, look cross-eyed to be like, that made total sense with that song that I was just listening to. But we think it's the greatest thing ever. Well, can I tell you, there's actually a greater symbol of freedom. It's a symbol that Jesus gave us. It's the symbol of communion. So as you entered your auditorium today at whatever campus you're a part of, you should have received the communion elements. If you did not, just raise your hand wherever you are. We have ushers available, and they'll be walking around and handing you communion elements at every campus. If you're joining us online, um, just want you to know that you can participate in communion as well. Grab whatever you have around the house. If you have some bread, uh, some juice, that's great. If you don't have bread, grab a goldfish cracker. If you're eating s'mores right now, go ahead and grab those. Uh, whatever it is, we want you to participate in this symbolism, this expression of freedom. And so we want you to be able to do that. But here's what happened. Jesus, he's with his disciples. And it's actually the night before he is getting ready to be betrayed. The night he was betrayed, getting ready to go to the cross, the night before that. And as he's sitting at the table, he starts talking to his disciples and he grabs something that's on the table, bread. 
And he says, hey, I wanna show you something. And I believe he said, I wanna show you this because I know that you need an ongoing symbol to remind you of the freedom you're gonna experience. And they may not even understood what was happening. But he said, I want you to see that this bread will be on tables for generations to generations to generations to generations. Whenever you see this bread, it's a reminder of my goodness. And so, church, if you would open up the bread portion of your communion, it's on the bottom of the cup. You can go ahead and take that out. As you had that, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, if you have your communion, go ahead and take. And then, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, uh, do this whenever you drink it and remember it for me. For whenever you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So church, let's proclaim the Lord's death by remembering what Jesus did on the cross for us. Let's thank God. God, we thank you for the true freedom that we can find in you. We thank you, God, that you care for us that you love us. God, you are a good God. And you made a way for us. We thank you for your salvation. God, we thank you, God, that you've called us now to live on mission for you. Help us to be people who do just that. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.